Here we are at another episode of the Marketing Ops Now podcast series. Yes, it's that time of the year. Predictions. We need to talk about trends. Listeners asked us, what MarTech trends are upon us? What MarTech is growing faster than other MarTech? What a great topic. You came to the right place. We researched the average age of MarTech categories and came to an amazing insight. MarTech is never done. MarTech is continuously reinventing itself. What are the latest reinventions, you ask? Bear with us as we go in headless first and have a ball with zero-party data. Today we're going to talk about MarTech and what are the next trends, upcoming technologies in the market. So, Scott, who else better to talk to than you? (laughs) You're no slouch on the MarTech research front either, my friend. So I'm sure this will be a fun conversation. I think one of the challenges when you talk about MarTech trends is like, yeah, you mean like the trends this week, <laughs> the trends next week? <laughs> the pace of evolution here is very fast. <laughs> 100%. I agree. Yeah. The question is, so yeah, if you look at the entire MarTech landscape, the one you designed with uh, 50 categories in there, you know, are there some outpacing others? Are some upcoming? Are some maybe dying? That's a big word, I know. They're all growing, I think, if I look at your research. So which ones are the ones we should really focus on? And not like this is a cool thing that nobody uses yet, but it's everybody talks about but doesn't do it. But it's it's really about what do you think in the next 12 months is something you have to put your head around? Yeah, it's a great question. And I think I can answer that at two levels is I'll talk about a category that's super important, but it's also a good category to recognize that all of the MarTech landscape is continuing to evolve at an incredible rate. There is no such thing as a mature in the sense of like, oh, yep, this is done. This is now we can expect it to be this same thing for the next 10 years. Every category continues to change in really interesting ways. And a great example for that is let's start with content management systems, web experience platforms, because I would argue that CMS or now the fancy word for today is DXP, digital experience platform. But let's start with just the phrase CMS. We'll go old school for a moment. That is arguably the oldest category in the MarTech landscape, right? I mean, we had CMS systems like emerging in 1996. So here we are 25 years later. If any category should be mature and it's innovation behind it and like, yep, this is just the stable. It's it's almost a utility at this point. Just take it for granted. You would expect it would be the CMS category. And yet over the past few years, the amount of innovation and disruption that has been happening in, you know, CMS to DXP is just mind blowing, right? I mean, all these things that have happened around the concept of, you know, headless CMS and how we, you know, separate content and experience. This has now even evolved very closely in how people are thinking about headless e-commerce, headless commerce at this point. You've got so many things just happening from like a capabilities perspective there. And so part of why I flag that is, let's face it, you know, one of our previous episodes, we were talking about just how important customer experience is to marketing leadership and, you know, delivering on what the brand actually is out there in the world. 
well, how does that delivery happen? I mean, like the vast majority of it is actually happening through these CMS DXP platforms, whether it's through the web or how it's feeding things into mobile apps. Boy, yeah, they talked about a category where you want to stay pretty close to the evolution that's happening there because this is a primary capability. Yeah, and we did some research around this and looked at how old these categories are. So we took one of your subcategories like CMS, I just looked it up, and e-commerce. And what is the average amount of years that these companies have been in business, the ones in every block? It's 14 and a half years for CMS, so it's pretty old. They're in the top five. And e-commerce is like in the top seven, 13.9 years on average. That's really old. And basically, you're saying very much alive, more than ever. Yeah. And well, I think what's interesting is the averages can be deceiving, right? Because I bet you when we look at the data of like, say, oh, well, the average is 13 or 14 years. What you've got in there is you've got a number of companies that have been around like 20 years or more. And then you've got a whole set of new disruptors that are probably closer to like five years, you know, old or even younger. Um, and so I suspect that sort of distribution is what you see would see throughout almost every category in the MarTech landscape at this point. That you know, I mean, MarTech and AdTech and things like this have been around for now a couple decades. And there definitely have been leaders who have emerged in the first and second wave of that. But yeah. Boy, the I mean, market for new startups in this space who have a better approach, an innovative way, whether it's just an innovation of their own or even just the channels and the environment in which we're operating has shifted. We could talk a bit about like ad tech is a great example where like the rules have changed. There were a set of winners and there was a set of how we did this when we like could all rely on the permanence of third party cookies. But now that third party cookies, you know, on the way out the door, all of a sudden, like the environment has experienced this massive disruption. And so as a result, you have this whole new wave of people like innovating. How are we going to be able to reimagine identity and targeting in our, you know, upstream advertising, marketing engagements in a post-cookie world? Wow. Yeah. Coming back on e-commerce and CMS, I just looked up. So 30 to 40 percent in both markets are older than 20 years. But still, 25% in each market is less than nine years, so eight years. So still, it's very much alive. It's like you said, coming to the cookies, it's completely changing. And I think on both ends, right? It's not only on the ad tech side where we don't know who they are and then start to understand who they are, anonymous to known, but also downstream, right, with CDPs. Is that an upcoming market? Absolutely. Well, I think overall, probably the single largest category of innovation in MarTech today is around data. And some of this is very MarTech specific data, like what we see with CDPs. But a part of it is actually the fact that data management or data ops capabilities throughout the larger organization, not just isolated to marketing, but, you know, the digital firm as a whole, is advancing at a phenomenal rate. And this is something that marketing is not disconnected from, right? I mean, marketing is one of the primary people at the table there for like, okay, both how are we contributing data from all these marketing touch points into this larger data ecosystem of the firm, but also in the other direction, like, oh, 
okay, marketing now has access to more data than ever about what's actually happening with customers further down in their journey and their engagements with sales and their engagement with customer service. If we have digital products, the data that we have access to of where those engagements are actually happening, you know, signals of things going well, signals of things not going well. And it's a treasure trove. And not just for like, you know, I mean, there's data management of how do you just get this ecosystem to be healthy, but then all the innovation that's happening around tools in data science and machine learning and analytics to identify insights from it. But then also even beyond just analyzing this stuff, it's how do we feed that data back into our frontline operational systems so that in real time or near real time, they're able to impact customer experience based on that data in a much more We've been talking about personalization for like two decades in marketing, but we're we're actually getting really close to like having the sort of data that's necessary to deliver truly meaningful personalization to customers. So, oh my God, yeah, just so much innovation happening around the data space in marketing. Connecting the dots, if you talk about personalization and on the other hand, a cookless world, I think those two things are really related to each other. I think people, customers really do want personalized messages, but they don't want their privacy to be lifted or used in a wrong way. And somehow, I don't know if there's a technology that is going to help out there, you know, to see if we can personalize. So yes, with consent, we can do this in a better way because the cookie-less world where we're going towards is actually allowing us less to personalize, if I'm not wrong. Yeah, I mean, there's sort of two paths you can take there. So there's a whole bunch of innovation happening with companies from like Google and Axiom and a bunch of startups to say like, okay, even without cookies, are there other signals that we can use to, if not identify individuals, be able to at least identify, you know, like affinity groups in a way that from a higher level targeting perspective of getting the right message and the right offers to, you know, the right kinds of people at the right time, our favorite thing that we love to talk about, you know, providing mechanisms that we could still actually do a pretty good job of that without sacrificing the privacy of individuals within those affinity groups. So that is sort of one path of innovation that's happening. But the other is ultimately the most powerful personalization is when a company actually gets permission to have a direct relationship with an individual and that individual is granting permission to engage with the company and i think the thing that is just really important for marketers both to certainly lean into developing those relationships, but to also be very very careful that we don't abuse them i mean i can tell you like I end up engaging with a bunch of companies. And so, you know, I'm a little bit of a Petri dish myself of on the (laughs) receiving end of, you know, what these marketing teams are doing. And personalization is one thing, but also there's even just these things about the frequency and the quality of the communication. I end up every now and again getting a relationship with a marketing group that they're just sending me messages like every day or twice a day or so. And it's just like, it's too much. This is turning me off. I do not want this. And so I unsubscribe and that we're gone. And then I have others that I subscribe to that 
They don't email me that frequently, but when they do, it's something that's very relevant to me. In fact, actually, I look at those emails. I mean, the other ones, I don't even look at them. I like check off the stuff to delete them. And then finally, when even just the process of checking them off to delete them becomes too much effort, then I'm like, all right, well, I just got to unsubscribe all this stuff. But if they like take advantage of the relationship of a subscriber to provide genuinely useful information at a cadence that is reasonable for the relationship that we have, yeah, I actually find that stuff valuable. I mean, I'm sitting, so I so I like to run for exercise. And so like there's this sneaker company, uh, New Balance. I've gotten stuff, I've signed up to them. I bought stuff e-commerce. They have a store I've gone to. They do not send me emails very frequently. But when they do send me an email, it's like, oh, by the way, this store, you know, next to you, they're gonna have a fall sale this weekend. Do you wanna get the warmer clothes, you know? Yeah, actually, I marked it. I actually put it on my calendar for like tomorrow, you know, go to the store to, you know. And so I think like that is a company that has obviously really optimized the relationship with its personalization to their advantage to actually impact sales and revenue for them. And it's not through quantity. It's through the right message at the right time. And most times are not the right time. I guess that would be the final learning point. <laughs> Yeah, no, it, it reminds me of human interaction. I mean, this is exactly what you want. You know, you want the frequency you have with friends and family. You know, it's a similar type of exchange of information. And the more brands resemble that cadence, the better it is, I think. But finding that is, I think we're not there yet. I don't know what the secret of New Balance is. We'd love to visit their marketing department and learn about this, how they do this. But what I feel is we go into this alternatives for cookie-less era or CDPs just to crunch data. But we're still not enough empathizing with the customer. Like you just said, empathizing with you in terms of this is the frequency you like, you appreciate. Some people using New Balance have a different frequency probably. Fine, fair enough, if they can cater for that need. But we're not that, we're talking about upcoming MarTech. I miss that type of MarTech. So there's also <laughs> MarTech I'm still missing. And I don't know, maybe we're not there yet. We're struggling with, you know, getting these new technologies, understanding them, getting to grip with them, and then taking it from there. I don't know what your take is on that. Well, I think actually this brings up a really good point because I'm sure, I mean, New Balance is a very large company. I'm just guessing here, but I'm quite sure they probably have a very healthy MarTech stack. But I think the key here is not just the technology. It's not just about having the latest data, you know, being able to identify data like the patterns of usage. It's about the strategy you then layer on top of that. Now that I've got this data and I've got the tools to do this, okay, what's the thinking process that goes into from a marketing strategy of, okay, how should we experiment to learn what's most effective, not just for us, but for our customers, and I feel like you and I have chatted about this maybe once before, but you know, my career early on was around conversion optimization. That's really how I got into digital marketing. And one of the things that always struck me at the time is marketers would get so focused on the positive dimension of conversion optimization that, I mean, for instance, like, oh, well, every time I send an email, 0.6% of the people buy stuff. So if I send more emails, oh, okay, well, now only 0.5, but hey, that's 0.5 is still more than the 0.6. And then, you know, I keep going because there's no cost to me sending these emails and every tiny extra little sliver I get of revenue, woohoo, win. 
But the problem is that fails to recognize there is another curve of basically people who are like actually turned off by this, that every time you like spam me, and even if I don't unsubscribe exactly at that moment, my experience of the brand, my perception of the brand, it's negatively impacted. And so I think it's, I'm always really impressed when companies are just very careful that they're not looking at optimizing just a single local metric, but that they're really trying to understand the system dynamics of how these metrics interplay with each other and looking at the long-term view. It's not the revenue number this week. It's the revenue number, you know, for the next five to 10 years. And so all the amazing technology in the world, it's what's that like Spider-Man thing, you know, great power, great responsibility. Yeah. It's like, I think the ones who are really winning here take this new technology and treat it with respect for that great responsibility. Yeah, I love that. That's real customer-centric MarTech stacks, I would say, and really use it in your advantage. I have two more points before we close, because we spoke about identities and cookie-less world coming up. I would expect, I would love to hear your take on that. What role could blockchain play in this whole identity management? Because for me, blockchain is something where you store something of value. And that's, if data is the new gold, and personal data certainly is, I want to own it as a consumer and I want to store it and I want to make sure that New Balance gets that information that they need to give me the right frequency. Do you see blockchain playing a role in that? Yeah, the short answer is yes. I think this is one of these things where we're still not there yet. And it's a really interesting question as to when we will get there. I mean, at some fundamental level, the technology already exists. I mean, this kind of reminds me of, I mean, you and I have been around MarTech here for a while. It was like, you know, the year of mobile. We went through like 10 years of, oh, this is going to be the year of mobile. You know, (laughs) no, 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 no. Next year. All right. Next year will be the year of mobile and so on. But then actually one day, it actually was the year of mobile. And then like mobile actually took over the world. And I think that's where a lot of these blockchain and decentralized data capabilities are, is the technology's there. The stuff that's happening way early on in the innovator curve is super interesting. It is something we need to keep a really close eye on because I think, right, part of it will be like around people managing their own identities of their own data. I know some people get offended with the term zero party data. We'll save that debate for another time. But if there was a zero party data, it would be actually, right, consumers, individuals owning their own data and controlling it, who has access when through the blockchain. So there's certainly that dimension, but there's also things that are happening like around creators and social networks. There's this whole movement around the social networks that can be created around those decentralized technologies too, but for all sorts of reasons and with all sorts of dynamics that are going to be fascinating. But again, from us as a marketer's perspective, right, ultimately we go where the audience is And so if the audience shifts over time into actually engagements through these decentralized networks, we're going to have to figure out a way of how we engage properly with those consumers and our audiences through those. So not here quite yet today, but boy, yeah, it's something I would keep an eye on because when it tips, it's going to tip big. I think so too. So that's one of the where the opportunities lie in the MarTech landscape. One more question, probably running out of time, but we're loving it. So (laughs) 
I think once we have this identity stuff in place and we know what they want and how often they want to receive an email from New Balance, we should get a sponsor money from them because we mention them so often <laughs> now. Okay. Send us a free pair of sneakers. I'm in. <laughs> I'm with you. So I think talking back will be the next big thing. That sounds maybe strange, but I can imagine that scaling content we need engines for because you can scale real-time uh, mass customized videos, for instance, or video ads or just images or images combined with copy tailored for you with a discount tailored for you with, I don't know, weather conditions because tomorrow you want to take your sneakers out for a run. <laughs> there you are again. Scaling content is also taking a lot of rendering power. And I think that's where to get combined with AI, I think that's where we're still struggling in MarTech country. Is that true? I think that's fair. I think that's fair. And I think, yeah, it's really interesting that if we get the direction of, you know, delivering the right things to customers more and more right. And I think that's fair to say that we will. We're making progress now and we'll continue to make progress. And at some point we will asymptotically hit a limit where we're like, yeah, we kind of got this. At least that's my optimistic view. But yeah, there are so many other dimensions of the relationship between a company and its customers and its broader audience. And I think things around like community and community management and marketing and how like our community gets value from each other. There's so much opportunity for value to be created there. These feedback mechanisms that you talk about, yeah, so much opportunity to do that better. Even like, and this kind of depends on the nature of the brand, but this idea of increasingly, there'll be more and more businesses where our customers are in a position to co-create with us, that they're able to actually build things on top of what we deliver and like add it back in. And I guess all this is to say, like, even when we perfect the art of getting the right message to the right person at the right time, and hopefully we'll get there. Yeah, there's just so much more to the dimension of how marketing needs to engage with its audience. And yeah, we are not going to run out of opportunities for creative marketing leadership and the marketing technology to support it anytime soon. I like that. I just realized, I think we just covered almost, what is it, 50 years of MarTech? I mean, the oldest companies are date back some 50 years ago and maybe... We spoke about the future, what is still out there missing. So another 50 years, so maybe 100 years even. 100 years of MarTech. Wow, a century of MarTech <laughs> brought to you in one podcast episode. <laughs> I would say that's a great end of this podcast. Thank you so much for your time. I love that summary. Thank you. Take care, my friend.